Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And here in continuation of our study, it's so beautiful what Paul is doing because, you know, remember in chapter 3 where he says that we're nothing? In chapter 3, verse 7, about himself as a teacher, remember? You have to make the distinction between field and worker, okay? Field and worker. A lot of times uh, in, in the camp of Christ, people get confused, Christians get confused. They say, okay, this verse is for me. This, this, this passage is for me. Well, wait a second. It's, are you a worker or are you in the field? Remember the church here in Corinth, when he says you're the field, remember they're babies. It's a very, very, I shouldn't say they're a young church. They're, they're a three-year-old church, but they haven't matured. They haven't matriculated. So when I say they're a young church, it's not like they're, you know, a, a, a church full of brand new believers. There are people who have, uh, they have the arrested development. They haven't matured in Christ. Three years and they're still on milk. Remember when Paul says in chapter 3, he says uh, in, in verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with solid food for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, he says. Still not able after three years. I have to give you milk. How, how long is it going to take for you guys to move on to the deeper things? to mature in Christ. So when he says in, in chapter 3, in verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. A lot of times Christians read that and they're like, okay, I'm a fellow co-worker of God. I'm a fellow worker of God. Well, it doesn't work that way. Paul is speaking about himself, Apollos, Cephas. Remember there was division in the church where people were saying, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. And Paul's saying we're God's workers. We're God's fellow workers. You In verse 9, you are God's field. You are God's field. You are God's building. It's to make that distinction. And where you see God's field even today, where you see God's field is a lot of times where you see the youth in Christ. Not, you know, 10-year-olds and, and, you know, 5-year-olds. Not carnally speaking. I mean the youth in Christ, meaning people who have not grown grown moved on to maturity. Now, you might have some new believers, people who became Christians last week, two weeks ago, yesterday, even today. You might have new believers, which is beautiful, but you might have people who've been on milk for 20 years, 30 years, never moved on. And Paul is saying, okay, if that's you, you're God's field. You're in God's field. Now, a person can transfer from field to worker. A person can make that transfer. The Lord is the one who makes that transfer when, a, when the Lord calls that person into ministry to be God's fellow worker. Okay, they're qualifiers for God's fellow worker. You can't, you can't call yourself a worker of the Lord and teach false doctrine. Because remember, God's spirit isn't divided against himself. A house divided cannot, st cannot stand. The Lord taught that when he was accused of, you know, he does this by the power of Beelzebub. He, he, he taught, is, is the, the Lord divided against himself? Is the house divided cannot stand? And so you have to make this distinction. You know, a worker in God's field is not going to teach uh, uh, craziness, is not going to teach uh, false doctrine, is not going to be a uh, false prophet. You're going to find uh, humility in God's workers. You're going to find sound mind. You're going to see the fruit of the Spirit. 
and not the works of the flesh, you're going to see the fruit of the Spirit. These are, these are indicators that the Lord gives us to know, okay, this is a man of God. This is a woman of God. You see? Remember, you say like, oh, well, you know, uh, women can be pastors. I'm not talking about pastoral ministry. I'm talking about God's fellow workers. Just like we looked at in uh, uh, Romans, in Romans chapter uh, 16, there was uh, Phoebe. It's chapter 16, verse 1 in Romans. Remember Phoebe? God's fellow worker. And she was serving as a, in the capacity of a deacon, a deaconess which has overseer roles. And Paul tells the church, like, you know, receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. It's not to say that, you know, women can't serve in these uh, leadership capacities. They certainly can. But then there's qualifiers in the Bible to say, okay, you can't teach men. You know, you need to have a, a, a male covering. A male covering, uh, like uh, uh, Phoebe's covering was Paul. And Paul tells the church, okay, receive her. You see, male covering. And she's still in this role, in this capacity. But she's she's not like a pastor, like teaching men. That's We, we see that in the pastoral epistles. So as much as we read these passages, is to understand, okay, there are qualifiers for God's fellow workers, pastors, Elders, deacons, Bible teachers, youth leaders. There are qualifiers, things that you look for. And when I say there are qualifiers, that also says that there are disqualifiers. Okay? It's very important to make that distinction between field and worker. And most Christians are in the field. Remember, Brother James says, let not many be teachers. Let not many be teachers. Because we're held to a high account, very high account, unto the Lord. And so we see what's happening here. When, 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 when Paul, in, in chapter 3, verse 7, he says, we're nothing. People are saying, oh, we're of Paul, we're of Apollos. He's like, we're nothing, guys. It's neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters. The water, the planter, nothing. And you see the humility of Paul. Because it's God who gives the increase. He's saying to the church, hey, forget about Paul, forget about Apollos, forget about Cephas. It's the Lord. Keep your focus on the Lord. He is the one who brings increase and gives increase. And so as much as you see his denial of self in chapter 3, at the same time, you see him establishing himself as who he is in Christ for the benefit of the church, for the sake of the church. It's like saying, uh, like, if Paul were here among us now, he says, okay, you guys, I'm nothing. You know, Christ is everything. You know, I, I, I must decrease. Christ must increase. You know, I'm a planter. I'm a water. But it's God who gives the increase. That's what Paul would be saying. But then at the same time, he'd also say, but the Lord has called me to teach you, to feed you, to tend to you. And understand that this is a calling of the Lord. And that's what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth. I don't think Paul would be well received in the church today. They'd call him mean-spirited. They'd call him crazy. They'd call him all kinds of names. They would kick him out of the church. I don't think Paul would be well received. And we're going to see passages where, I mean, we've already seen passages in, in, in Acts, in Romans, and here we are in Corinthians, and he's not going to stop. <laughs> He's not going to stop. 
And it's not to deify Paul. It's that the Lord, we see him as preeminent in the life of Paul. And Paul is just the vessel. But that doesn't say that we lose respect for Paul. I have great respect for Paul. I can't wait to meet him. I can't wait to embrace him. But it's not to say that he is my God. No, the Lord is God. The Lord is preeminent in our lives. But to understand as much as Paul is denying himself, we see his humility at the same time to understand that he has a job to do in the church. He has a role in the church and in fulfillment of that role, he has to speak things to the church. He has to speak things to Christians to guide them, to tend them, to feed them, to teach. And so here we are in chapter 4, 1 Corinthians, verse 1. He says, let a man so consider us. Let a man so consider us, he says, which translates as, let a man so conclude and estimate of us. He's speaking about co-workers, God's co-workers, not the field. Not the field. He's speaking about the Cephases, the Apollos, the, the Pauls. He's speaking about the workers. And it's very interesting what we see here because he says, not just, you know, uh, a a self-proclaimed pastor, a self-proclaimed teacher, a self-proclaimed prophet, a self-proclaimed apostle, which you see today. He says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ. This word for servants is huperetes in the Greek. Huperetes, which translates as an under oarsman. You know, you, if you've ever been rafting, you have the guy in the back who's directing and you have like a, a team of guys on the left, a team of guys on the right, and the one in the back is kind of directing. You know, hard left, hard right, soft, you know, left, stop, you know, right, stop. The, the, the guy in the back is directing. And that's what Paul is saying here. Servants of Christ, the under oarsmen. It's Christ who's directing. It's Jesus Christ, the pastor of the church, capital P. The head pastor of every church. He says, and stewards of the mysteries of God. And stewards here is a manager, overseer, and agent of the mysteries of God. Now, what is the mysteries of God? Well, we see a little glimpse of what Paul explains in chapter 2, verse 7, when he says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, in a mystery. The hidden wisdom of God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So he's, we speak the word of God in a mystery, the wisdom of God in a mystery. Is this all Christians? No. Remember when Paul says in chapter 2, he says, I didn't come to you with, you know, wisdom. I didn't come to you with any, you know, I didn't teach you the deep things. I just came with you with the basics. Which is what? In verse chapter 2, verse 2, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what he came with. Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see? Remember, it's the power of God unto salvation. It's not like, you know, a sales pitch. It's not like, you know, uh, you know like a, a salesman. You see the, the traveling salesman, you know, and how many sales can he make? How many sales can she make? No, it's not like that at all. That's that's cheapening the word of God. It's the power of God unto salvation. And it's the Lord who does the work in a person's heart. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, the, 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 the Lord makes people believe as a lot of Calvinists like to purport under that theory of Calvinists and Reformed theology. 
I mean, people people say like, okay, well, you know, look at Paul when he became a Christian. Boom, he became a Christian immediately. Well, don't forget, is it hard to kick against the goats? Spoken to a Pharisee of Pharisees? When you read the law, you understand, whoa, what is the Lord saying to him? A major, major proposition until Paul, where Paul had to make a decision. And he did make a decision. Now, if you're listening, you're like, what? What is he talking about? Listen to our study in the book of Acts. Listen to our study. You know, when Paul became a Christian, listen to that stuff because we go to Old Testament law and we explain that. It's very important. Every, every person has to make a decision to follow Christ or reject Christ. A choice. It's very important because what happens, it's like all of a sudden you see all kinds of craziness coming into the church. And when I love how, you know, it, you, you see how, you know, the, the entirety of the word of God, it becomes like full circle. Because when the Lord says here, or when, when Paul, well, the Lord says through Paul that, you know, you are God's field, speaking to a young church, you are God's field. Well, don't forget the parable of the field as well. Where, you know, if we look at the birth of the church, you know, 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years, we look at the birth of the church, but then at the same time, you see at the inception of the church and how beautiful it is. You know, look at, consider a field when it's freshly grown. Freshly grown, you see the little green sprouts coming up. It's, wow, this is so beautiful. Everything's nicely done, you know. The 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 lines for the, uh, you know, like a, uh, or the, I don't know what the tools are called, but, you know, I'm not like a farmer or anything, but where the, the crops, you know, they, they, they drag that thing on the dirt and then they plant the seeds and it's just everything's nice and in order. But in the parable, there's in, in the field, it says that the enemy comes in and there's weeds. The weeds start to grow in. The tares among the wheat. And then the servants of the master say, Master, do you want us to go through the field and pull out the weeds? Do you want us to go to the field, all through the field, the workers of the Lord? They say, do you want us to go through the field and pull out the weeds? And the Lord says, no, the two have to grow together. Because if you do that, you might uproot the, the good, the, the, the wheat, you might uproot them. I mean, picture, oh, uh, 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 I mean, if you do gardening, you have a beautiful, beautiful plant in the dirt, but then right next to it, you have this big weed and you're, you're, you have all the best of intentions. You grab the weed and you pull it out. But the, the roots, they interfere with the roots of the, of the beautiful, beautiful plant with the flower. It's blossoming. And they interfere with that. You pull out the weed. And then all of a sudden, by accident, you pull out the, the flower. Now the flower is dead. Because you pulled out the weed. And the Lord says, no. You leave the weeds there. Leave the wheat, the wheat and the tares together. Let them grow together until the harvest. I mean, picture a field at, at like five months in. It's like, wow, this is so beautiful. It looks, everything's nice and pristine. Five months in. But then the weeds start to grow up. And then you ask the master, master, what do we do? You want us to take the, the, the go through the field and pull out the weeds? And he says, no. And what if the harvest is like way down the road? way 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 down the road it's not for immediate now imagine what that field would look at look like i mean no offense to the lord because the church is is his but do you know how nasty that field would look the wheat 
and the tares growing together for 2,000 years? Do you know how nasty that field's going to look? It's not going to look pretty. It's not going to be like it was when it was five months in, a year in, two years in. It's not going to be nice and pristine. You're not going to see the, uh, 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 the, 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 uh, the wheat, you know, where you can identify easily, okay, this is wheat, and you see like little, little weeds on the ground. No, you're going to see big weeds, like, like tall, tall weeds, tears. You're going to see it. And the Lord says, no, let them, let them grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, the tares, they're taken out and they're thrown into the fire. Let them grow together. What does that say for the state of the church? When Paul says, you are God's field. Now, yes, God's field is beautiful. But then if, if you're, you know, I, I make, I say, make that distinction between, between worker and field. Okay. You make that distinction. Okay. And if you're a pew Christian, it's not to, to denigrate in any way, shape or form is to understand, okay, I'm a young Christian. I'm a new believer. Or, you know, maybe you've, you're a, a milk drinker and you've been a Christian for 20 years. And now you're seeing the error of your ways and you say, Lord, forgive me. I don't want to be a milk drinker. And then all of a sudden you start to mature in Christ and you have to make the distinction. Okay. Fully understanding I'm in the field. I'm not a worker. I'm in the field. And you continue to mature. And then all of a sudden the Lord says, okay, I'm calling you into ministry. Pastoral ministry. I'm calling you into an elder ministry. I'm calling you into be a, to be a deacon. I'm calling you into whatever. It's the Lord's bidding. So you're in the field, but to also make the distinction in that field, it's beautiful among the wheat. But there's also tares. There's also the weeds. And you have to make that distinction as well. You see? And in the last days, don't forget that the last days church is either false, is either apostate, or it's true. So when you consider wheat and tares and weeds, you have to make the distinction, which are you? And I don't mean that to say like, you know, how dare you, how dare you, how dare you? I want you to be wheat. But you have a choice to make for your own soul. You can't make a choice for your kids. You can't make a choice for your parents. You can't make a choice for, you know, your spouse. You can't make a choice for your uncle, for, you know, tia. You can't make a choice for anybody. I'm going to throw in a little Spanish in there. You make a choice for yourself. I don't want you to be a false Christian. I don't want you to be a false church. I don't want you to be a apostate and fall into apostasy. It's it's prophesied for apostasy, apostasy to come in the last days. It's prophesied. It will come to pass, and it is coming to pass, and it's here. Look at all the pastors, so-called pastors, who teach craziness. Oh, but that's God's fellow worker. No, he isn't. Oh, but she's God's fellow worker. No, she isn't. Biblically. Oh, that's so mean-spirited. That's so mean. Is it really? Let's read the Bible. What does the Bible have to say? You have to make these distinctions for yourself as you, as you endeavor to be a Berean. If I pray you are, 
but you have to do it for yourself. It's and, and the it, it comes at a heavy cost if you don't to those who don't. I say if you don't, so it's kind of like a quasi warning, not in a harsh sense, but in a very loving sense, in a very tender. I mean, if we were face to face, it would be the most tender, tender. Like we have a little disservice right now because you know it's just you 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 hear me say these things, but if we were face to face, having a cup of coffee, a cup of tea. I'd be telling you these things like, hey, you know, put down the crack pipe, put down the sex, put down the pornography, put down the whatever, put down this. But because there's a purpose, there's a point, you know, we have a purpose in life. And I'm not speaking about like the Rick Warren type of, you know, purpose driven life, which I call the purpose driven lie. That's garbage. Oh, but he's a God's fellow worker. No, he isn't. He's a wolf. Oh, how can you say that? That's so mean spirit. Is it really? I read my Bible and I call it like I see it. You see, Bereans know these things. Bereans know these things. And, you know, you, your obedience to the Lord, to his word and the power of the Holy Spirit and you're yielding to him, the Holy Spirit will guide you. He teaches you. Remember, the word of God is spiritually discerned. And so look at what Paul says. Yes, he's in chapter 3, denial of self. But then to understand that in the capacity of his role as pastor and teacher, he has a job to do in fulfilling this job. He's like, hey, I'm trying to teach you these things, guys. You see, does that mean to say that everybody who's a pastor, everybody who's a teacher is a servant of the Lord, is a steward? No way. No way, because people call themselves teachers. People call themselves pastors. But sometimes they're ravenous wolves. Sometimes they spew poison. Oh, that's so mean-spirited. You know, it's the babies who say that's mean-spirited because they don't understand. They don't know. It's the babies who say that's mean-spirited. Whenever, whenever somebody says that, like, you know, say, for example, I talk about uh, grave soaking. Oh, this pastor takes his church grave. This so-called pastor takes his, his church grave soaking. What do you mean to say, you so-called pastor, that's so mean-spirited, you can't divide? Immediately, right then and there, I know I'm speaking to a baby Christian. A baby. And it's one thing if they're a brand new believer, if they were became a Christian yesterday or within the last week, you know, then it's like, okay, it's understandable. Brother, sister, it's I'm not trying to be mean. You know, you're you're a, a, a brand new Christian. You were born born again last week, born again yesterday, and I rejoice. I praise the Lord. But let's look at the Bible and see what the Bible says. This is why I say these things. But then somebody who's been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 5 years, 2 years. Oh, that's so mean-spirited. You say so-called pastor. What do you mean? Then it's a little different. Because it's not to say, okay, you're a baby and you know you were born again last week. It's like, yes, you're a baby, but you've been on milk for 5 years. You've been on milk for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Do you know how dangerous that is in the last days? I mean, it's dangerous 2,000 years ago for the church in Corinth, give or take a couple years. But do you know how dangerous that is today to be a milk drinker? It's very dangerous. And we're going to see what happens here. 
So in verse 2, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Required, not a suggestion. Required. If you're a pastor, teacher, if you're a servant, a a huperetes, if you're a steward, you're a pastor, teacher, Bible teacher, youth leader, ministry leader, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Remember when we did our study in Numbers 12 and we have a little uh, checklist? You know, when we when we see that Moses, he the humility of Moses. But then you see humility, sound doctrine, the fruit of the Spirit. But then here, because verse 2 says is required in, in stewards that one be found faithful. So we add to that list faithfulness. Faithfulness. Fidelity unto Jesus Christ. The head of the church, the head pastor of the church, the bridegroom unto his bride. It's required. It's not a suggestion. Oh, this guy is such a, a, a man of God, on his, but he's on his fifth marriage. Oh, his, his, his previous four wives, they died? No, they're still alive. They had irreconcilable differences. That's not a pastor. It's a hireling. Could be a wolf, but I need more details. You see? Oh, look, this woman of God, she's a pastor and a prophet. She's on her third marriage. Oh, really? Same thing. She's a hireling or a wolf. Need more details. Oh, that's so mean-spirited. You have a heart of division. You're crazy. You've lost your mind. Really? Look at the fruit. very interesting how the Bible teaches us these things. We're just in verse 2. It is required that one be found faithful if you're a steward. A lot of times people, they like the accolades of men. They say, oh, I'm a pastor. You see like church parking lots, you know, head pastor. It's right next to the door, this is the head pastor's parking spot. And then right next to his, this is the co-pastor's. And then right next to his, this is the co-co-pastor. And then right next to his, this is the elder's. So what is that? I mean, the pastor's parking spot should be like across the street. You see, a lot of times people like the accolades. I mean, have you ever seen it? it, it you, then you get into like you, where, where pastors like to lord over the sheep. No, it's just the opposite. Jesus Christ must be Lord. He must be Lord. And I love how Paul in chapter 3, you see his denial of self. But then at the same time in chapter 4, you see, okay, there's denial of self, chapter 3. But then to understand like, okay, the Lord has called me to serve in this capacity. And I'm here to help you. To guide you, to teach you. To train you, to equip you. He says in verse 3, but with me, this is Paul speaking, remember, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. Very interesting. Now, I'll give you, give you an example of how this is panning out. You know, say, for example, you're a brain surgeon. Okay, you're a brain surgeon, a neurosurgeon, and you do like, fine, you work with robots and you do like, you know, very fine, intricate surgery on the brain, on the human brain. You've gone through school, school you've matriculated through university, and not a cheesy university, you know, a very well, a highly esteemed university in this particular form of medical practice. 
you know, and you got you 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 were you, your residency was in with the top doctors in the nation, all these, and now you're in pra practice, you're the, the best hospitals, you're in your practice, and you've done you have a lot of surgeries under your belt, and then say all of a sudden I'm a four year old, okay, I'm a four year old, and then I come to you and I say, you know what? I don't like how you do this uh, cranial removal. I don't like how you did that, or I don't like how you poked here. I don't like. You see, it's it's laughable. It's laughable. And I don't mean laughable like in a in a mean sense. I mean it's the the concept of what I'm explaining here is just it's la it's so absurd. Because me as a four year old, and say you're like 35, 40, 50 years old, and you've got a lot of surgeries under your belt major major surgeries very intricate minute like uh, everything I mean, the, the, everything state of the art and here I am a little four year old oh, I don't like how you did this it's so uh, ridiculous and that's what Paul is saying here it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court to understand that wait a second they're babies a lot of times people get offended. And now if you're mature in Christ, I rejoice. It's beautiful. If you're mature in Christ and people hate you or they talk smack about you. They say, oh, you're such a legalist. You're so stupid. You know, you want to follow the Bible like this. Don't let it bug you. I mean, it's hurtful because it's not hurtful in the sense of like they're hurting your feelings. It's hurtful in the sense of, wow, these are babies. They're on milk and they've been Christians for five years, 10 years, 20 years. And it's like, wow, because it exposes their carnality. Now, if people are calling you crazy because you are legit crazy, that's one thing. But if you're in obedience to the Lord and you're following the Bible and yielding to him and yielding to the spirit of the Lord, you know, people will hate you. That's a gimme. People will hate you, even inside the church. They'll call you names. You're such a legalist. But they're revealing their own stupidity. They're fools. Legit fools. Stupid. You know, idiotes in the Greek. Idiotes, which is where we get the word idiot. That's what they are. They're exposing their carnality because of their own lack of disobedience unto the Lord. Oh, that's so mean-spirited. That's so mean. Is it? Remember, you have to make the distinction in the field. Okay, there's in the field, there's weeds, there's tares, and there's wheat. Which are you? Okay, that's the field. Now, once you make that distinction of the field, then you look at the worker. Okay, now, what are the workers? Who are the workers? They can't teach, you know, craziness. They can't teach crazy town. You won't see the works of the flesh. It's very important for the last day's remnant. I say the last day's church sometimes, but I think I'm going to start saying the last day's remnant because the last day's remnant is wheat. And I speak to the wheat. The last day's remnant is the wheat in God's field. You see? It's very important to make these distinctions for your own soul. Because you will stand before the Lord one day. The same way I will stand before the Lord. Well, actually different. I'm going to be held to a very, very strict account. Very, very strict account. Let not many be teachers. 
And Paul is saying in verse 3, it's it's a small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. So say, for example, Paul's a neurosurgeon and I'm a four-year-old boy. And I say, oh, Paul, you know, I don't like how you do this cranial surgery. And Paul says, it's, it's no big deal. You can say what you want to say, but it's no big deal because it's just word. I mean, it's it's, it's factually untrue. It's th- there's, there's no legitimacy to your words. Why? Because... I'm a young, a, a, a young boy, four year old, four years old. There's no, no legitimacy to the claims. You see, so if you're mature in Christ and you're abiding in the word of the Lord and abiding in Christ and, you know, you're taking your walk seriously. Some people, you know, I say that, you know, you take your walk seriously and sometimes people get offended. They come and talk to me afterwards. Oh, are, are you saying that I don't I don't take my walk serious? Are you saying that, you know, I, I'm a baby? No, I'm not I'm not saying it. I mean, it is written. And yes, I said it. But if it applies to you, let's look at the fruit. Okay, what's up with this crack? What's up with this sexual stuff? What's up with this pornography? You're a baby. The very works of your hands, the steps of your feet, the fruit of the flesh, or the, the works of the flesh, those very things reveal your youth. It's to say, cut it out. Cut it out. Give it up. Repent before the Lord and grow and mature in Christ. So you have to make these distinctions. I pray your wheat. But you have to make these distinctions for yourself. Because the last day's remnant is going to, the last day's remnant, the last day's church is going to, judgment comes first in the house of God. Don't forget that. And God's judgment is happening in the church, inside the church. People say, oh, the Lord will protect the church. The Lord will protect the church. Don't forget what happens in the field. And judgment comes first in the house of God. Judgment comes first in the house of God. The wheat. The wheat are the ones who have eyes to see and ears to hear. And it's very important to have that. Eyes to see and ears to hear in the last days. Because, you know, look at the Old Testament. Look at the Old Testament in Exodus. In Egyptian captivity. Where all these plagues were coming upon Egypt. Except Israel, there was light in Goshen. But it's nothing new under the sun. It's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. All these plagues are going to befall the earth. But where is the light? Who has the light? Understanding too that foolish virgins are going to run out of, they're gonna, they're, their lamps are going to go out. Why? Because they have no oil. No oil for their lamps. Very interesting. People say, oh, the oil was for 2,000 years ago. That was for another dispensation. Really? Okay. You're hurting yourself. If you want to fall into that camp and believe that, you're hurting yourself. You're diminishing oil that will be necessary for you. And remember, that's oil for you. You can't have oil for spouse. You can't have oil for uncles. You can't have oil for kids. You can't have oil. Parents, you can't. Your oil is for you. And you want to 
reserve the oil for 2,000 years ago in another dispensation? Okay. Don't do that. I say don't do that. But you have a choice to make for yourself. And Paul said, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. So oh, there's, a, there's a contradiction in the Bible, the, the, the mockers of the last days. Oh, there's a contradiction in the Bible. Well, let's look at, you know, in, in our, our uh, 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 communion study in chapter 11, verse 31, Paul says, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So we judge ourselves. But here Paul is saying, but I don't judge myself. I do not even judge myself. See, there's a contradiction. That's what the mockers would say. But understand, in chapter 11, Paul is speaking to the church. You know, th this is what we do as Christians. I mean, I do that myself. You know, I speak like, you know, we, you know, I, the inclusion, we, this is our lives. We, we walk like this. We do this. We do this. But me individually, I make certain choices in my own life, certain choices in my own walk to honor the Lord. And that's what Paul is saying here in chapter four, verse three. I did not even judge myself. Remember, he's a worker. For I know of nothing against myself, he says in verse four. How hardcore is that? Now imagine Paul, if he were, you know, he has a time machine and he comes into the church today and he's standing at the pulpit and he says that, I know of nothing against myself. Do you know how many people would scoff at him? Do you know how many people would scoff at him? Oh, that's so prideful. All sin. All sin. The Bible says all sin and fall short of the glory of God, which is true. But don't forget that Jesus Christ says, go and sin no more. Some people take that seriously. Some people will not take a sip of alcohol because they want their bodies, their temples to be so rendered to Jesus Christ, they won't even touch alcohol. Like Timothy, he would not even touch alcohol. And Paul says here, take a little drink for your stomach to settle your stomach. People say, you see, the Bible says it's okay, it's okay, you can drink alcohol. No, no, it's like, I like to say it like NyQuil, you know, like little cough syrup. You know, when I was young, when I was a kid, we used to take uh, uh, cough syrup and we'd, we'd drink it for the alcohol, not because, or, or uh, mouthwash, we'd drink it for the alcohol. And so I like to see that, that was, you know, I was a sinner, I was a little kid. But you know what Paul says to Timothy? Timothy was had a little cold, a little stomach flu. And Paul says here, Take some, take some Ny NyQuil, take some cough syrup, you know, take some medicine, calm your, and so Timothy, okay. Paul's not saying, okay, go get drunk, you know, go drink your whiskey, go drink wild turkey, go drink this. He's not saying that at all. People make up these excuses. Why? Because they're carnal. They make up these excuses. They say, oh, I'm going to get drunk tonight. It's biblical. It's Okay. I'm going to drink this, you know, this uh, vodka with, you know, after dinner, I'm going to drink this vodka and it's okay. Just calm the senses. Fools. It's exposing carnality. Babies. Arrested development. No maturity in Christ. Where you see the a concentration of carnality is also where you see babies. And Paul says, I know of nothing against myself. And some people take their walk seriously. 
You know, it's like, oh, he's so prideful. How dare he say that he knows of nothing against himself? No, he's spirit filled. Remember in Romans, turn with me really quick to Romans 7. <clears throat> and in Romans 7, verse 15, this is what Paul says to the church in Rome. He says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. And a lot of times Christians read that and be like, wow, you know, Paul was in sin. Paul had the works of the flesh. And so, you know, it's okay that I do this. It's okay that I do that. It's okay that I do drugs. It's okay that I do the sex. It's okay that I do the alcohol. It's okay that I'm a tax cheat. It's okay that this, that, pay employees under the table. It's okay that I do these things. They make excuses for their own, own carnality. And they say, okay, well, Paul did it too. Well, wait a second. Don't forget, Paul recognizes his own wretchedness in, in verse 24. In Romans 7, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord! Exclamation point. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. It's like, whoa, Paul is talking about the law of sin. Have you ever talked to a person who's mature in Christ? Like a mature, like mature, not a baby, definitely not a baby. Ask them a question. Say, hey, brother, hey, sister, can I ask you a personal question? They'll probably say, yeah. And you ask them, what was it that you last repented of? Ask them. Well, if you don't mind me asking, what, what is it that you last repented of? And it will blow you away. If they open up, it'll blow you. They'll, they'll probably probably gladly open up. It will blow you away. I remember talking to this old guy. And he started to tell me how he felt this conviction over television. And, I, you know, I was a young believer and I marveled. Like, What? It, it just blew me away. You talk, I, tell me, brother, tell me, sister, can, if you don't mind me asking, what is the last thing that you repented of? And the person might tell you, well, you know, I was watching TV for about 10 minutes. I was 10 minutes into a program, 10 minutes into a show, 10 minutes into the, a movie. And a clean movie, not like, you know, a, you know, a dirty movie. You know, I was watching, you know, I'm 10 minutes into a movie and I had to turn it off. And when I turned it off, I fell to my knees, fell to my face before the Lord, and I repented. Because that 10 minutes was a waste of time. There's absolutely zero edification in that. And I repented for 10 minutes into a movie. And you're thinking like, whoa, I saw that movie. You know, I like that movie. I watched it. But no, it's not to say that you're evil. It's to say that for this particular person, they repented for 10 minutes into a movie because it was a waste of time. It was 10 minutes not given to the Lord. Ten minutes that could have been in his word, in the word of God. Ten minutes that could have been, you know, praying to the Lord. And that person repented for ten minutes into a movie. That's what's so beautiful about old people in the Lord. I'm not talking about like old people silver hair. It could be. But I'm talking about old people mature in Christ. What a great ministry that can happen unto the young people. Because young people today, they're like, oh, you know... I got all this time. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. It's like, wait a second. Well, everybody has 24 hours in a day. 
And, you know, most people sleep eight hours. Doctors say you got to sleep eight hours, eight hours a day. That's way too much. I mean, personally, that is way too much. You can function off five hours of sleep just fine. That's me. Maybe less, you know. I say on average, five hours is fine. Six hours, okay. If it's three hours, you know, that's even that's okay. You know, but eight hours, that's a lot of time to be sleeping. <laughs> uh, doctors are crazy. But so we all have 24 hours a day. So you take what the doctors recommend. Eight at 24 minus eight. You know, so I'm terrible in math. So whatever that amount is. So then you have the remaining balance. And then you got to work, you know. Then you subtract that. And then you take family time. You subtract that. Uh, how much is in the word? How much is given to the Lord? I mean, in, in, in his word. And praying unto him. How much is given to the Lord? You know, and you know, not to say that you can't have a mind that's meditating on godly things throughout the day. We certainly can. We're certainly called to do that, to meditate on these things. Beautiful things, not the dirty things. But ask a person, a person who's mature in Christ. Hey, can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure, brother, sure, sister. Tell me, brother, tell me, sister. What did you last repent of? And it will blow you away what they repented of. It will blow you away because you might, you're going to think, if you're like me, I remember as it was like 20 years ago, and it blew me away. Whoa. You repented for that? that and it, that's nothing. But for this individual, it was something. That's where you see maturity, the, the beauty of maturity in Christ. And understand, Paul, when he's talking about the works of the flesh, it's not the works of the flesh like, you know, a baby Christian. It's not the works of the flesh like somebody who's lukewarm. So his works of the flesh are entirely different from maybe the average, the average person's works of the flesh. A lot of times people like to make excuses. And say, oh, you know, so we don't know what it doesn't say what, what Paul was into. When he says that, you know, the, uh, in verse 15, what I will to do that I do not practice, but what I hate that I do. Well, what Paul hates is a lot different than what you hate. I mean, he, I'm sure, you know, he hates it, but his works, his works of the flesh is different. And not to deify Paul, but to understand that some people take their walk seriously. Some people take their walk seriously. Oh, how dare you say that? That's so mean-spirited. Are you implying that I don't take my walk seriously? Well, let's look at the fruit. Let's look at the fruit. Let's, let's put down the crack. Let's put down the alcohol. Let's put down the sex. Let's put down the drugs. Let's put down the this. Let's put it away. Those things which so easily ensnare you. Those things which so easily... Uh, Prohibit you. Ensnare you. Let's put those things away. And let's, let us run forward. Let us run. In chapter 8, still in Romans, Romans 8. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, capital S. You see, according to the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. For the law of the Spirit is life in Christ. For, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. How beautiful is this? It's not to look down on a person and say like, wow, how dare you, how dare you, how dare you, you're a baby. How dare you? It's to say, okay, you're a baby. 
you're a baby. The complete and total understanding. We have to be honest with ourselves. Say, okay, you're a baby. And if that's you, okay, you're a baby. It's it's fine. It's fine that you're a baby. I mean, if you're a baby and you're a brand new believer, praise be to the Lord. If you're a baby and you've been 20 years a Christian, five years a Christian, three years a Christian, you say, okay, I'm a baby. Okay, we, we have the acknowledgement that you're a baby. Now, let's move on to perfection. Let's grow. Stop being in first grade. Stop being in kindergarten. First grade, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. High school. University. You know, higher academia. And I'm speaking uh, in a worldly sense, higher academia, because, you know, in, in the world, academia, they're crazy. They're, they teach ungodliness, unrighteousness. See, professing to be wise, they became fools. The, the word of the Lord is being fulfilled today. So let's go back to our study in 1 Corinthians 4. And here in 1 Corinthians 4, understand that when Paul says here in verse 4, for I know of nothing against myself. It's, oh, Paul is so prideful. No, he's not talking about pride. He's spirit-filled. He's spirit-filled. He's not carnal. Remember, you who are non-carnal, re restore such a one in the spirit of, uh, in love. So he says, I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this, he says. I am not innocent by this, is how it translates. Because this is where the Armenians have to be very careful, because that, that would be a works-based salvation. That would be works-based. When I say some people take their walk seriously, oh, that would be works-based. People say, oh, that's works-based. It's not, it's works-based. So what are you saying? That's not works-based. That's obedience unto the Lord. Oh, you're such a legalist. You're such a legalist. You're trying to earn your salvation. What? What are you talking about? How, how is that trying to earn salvation when you're living sacrificially unto the Lord? In the temple. I say your temple, but when you're living sacrificially unto the Lord, it's not your temple. It is the Lord's temple. It belongs to the Lord. And you're going to put crack in the temple of the Lord? You're going to put pornography in the temple of the Lord? You're going to put alcohol in the temple of the Lord? Oh, but it's my temple. It's my temple. Okay, that's your choice. But some people, they might see their body as their temple, but then they have this realization that, wait a second, this temple is not mine. It belongs to the Lord. And they take their walk seriously. When the Lord says, go and sin no more, they presented their bodies a living sacrifice to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Not to earn salvation. Like Paul says, I'm not justified by this. And if that's you, if yes, you acknowledge your temple as not yours anymore, it belongs to the Lord. And you do not want to put crack inside of the Lord's temple. You do not want to put pornography inside of the Lord's temple. You do not want to put alcohol inside of the Lord's temple because it belongs to Him. I mean, in our study through the Old Testament, look at what happens when idols are brought into the temple. It's not good at all. It is not good at all. Look at what happens when idolatry is introduced inside the tabernacle, inside the, the temple grounds. And we're going to see it because it happens. 
a lot of battles being lost. A lot of uh, breakups, you know, Israel and Judah. A lot of death, a lot of pestilence. Because the temple is defiled. Now, you look at the church today. What do you see? Temples defiled. Why? There you go. That's what I'm talking about. There are people who consider their bodies as temples of the Lord. Not their temples. Temples of the Lord. And they do not want to defile the Lord's temple with meth, with crack, with wild turkey, with uh, whatever. Alcohol, with pornography, with sexual stuff. They do not want to defile the temple of the Lord. And you know what the babies call them? Legalists. That's what babies refer to these people as, legalists. But you can be like Paul. If that's you, if you've so rendered your temple and given it to the Lord and it's now the Lord's temple, praise be to the Lord. It's a very, very special thing. Very few do that. Very a minute few do that in the camp of Christ. Very few. Let it be a very small thing that you should be judged by a baby. You see, it's no big deal. It's it's like that example. I get, I'm a I'm a four year old boy, and I, you know I'm talking to a neurosurgeon who's fifty years old and been doing the the neurosurgery for you know whatever number of years. And I said, I don't like how you do this little, how you, how you hold the scalpel. I don't like how you made this incision, how you cut the cranium. It's it's so it's stupid. It, to, I mean to even, it, I don't mean to say it's stupid. Like it, I mean it's it, it like I don't have to explain it very much because it's so beyond the realm of like it's so ridiculous such is the same you're a temple you give in your temple to the lord and you have a baby say oh you're such a legalist it's so ridiculous just ignore it's so it's such it's noise be of good cheer be of good co- good comfort Because their carnality is being exposed, which is one thing. But then also what's being exposed is the work that's happening inside of you. The work that has been done inside of you. You're a remnant. A remnant. And then you can be long-suffering for these babies. It's the the heart of the Lord who is long-suffering. It's the mind of Christ who is long-suffering. Look at Paul's long-suffering for the church. You see? And as the Lord is long-suffering, so his people are long-suffering. Paul doesn't just... He finds out that these Christians, that the church in Corinth, the Christians, that there's some major issues, carnality, works of the flesh. And he's, he doesn't just ignore them. I mean, if, if Paul were a Calvinist, he'd say, maybe they just weren't saved. I'm going to go on to Macedonia. Maybe they weren't saved. I'm going to go into Ephesus. Maybe they weren't saved. I'm going to go over here. You see? Oh, they, they were predestined to hell. So, no, they were never saved. No, Paul never says that. He, he's long-suffering for the church. So, he writes this letter to the church. Remember, he talked about their sainthood in, in chapter 1. 
saints. But then at the same time, he starts to address carnality. You see, the neurosurgeon, so to speak, now works on the four-year-old. You see? He says in verse 4, I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified in this. It's not works-based salvation. It's death-based. People say, oh, that's works-based salvation. It's works-based salvation. No, I call it death-based. Death-based. Because that's crucifixion with Jesus Christ. Co-crucified with Jesus Christ. It's not works-based at all. And you know what's so beautiful about this? Imagine the clear conscience that Paul has. Imagine the clear conscience that Paul has. People, people hate him. And we're going to see in future chapters, future even uh, uh, books, Paul is not well, I mean, he's well esteemed. But then when Paul starts to correct, he's not well esteemed. Only Luke is with me. Remember the prison letters? Only Luke is with me. And so look what happens here. It's, you know, the clear conscience that Paul has. O obedience has perks. Obedience has perks. And I don't mean to like cheap it and say like, oh, we're obedient for the perks. No, we're obedient unto the Lord, but it has its perks. Blessings of obedience. Just as we're going to read in Deuteronomy, the blessings of obedience. We've read it already in Numbers, the blessings of obedience. Because say, for example, You've so rendered your heart unto the Lord. You've so rendered your body unto the Lord as a living sacrifice. And you don't consider your body your temple. It's the Lord's temple. And then you're a neurosurgeon, so to speak. And then a little four-year-old, you know, says something about you. A little four-year-old says, oh, I don't like how you do the cranial surgery. I don't like how you, you know, you crack through the, the, the cranial dome, you know. I don't like how you do that. And it's so ridiculous. It's so like, it's a four-year-old. It's so ridiculous that, you know, you don't have to be like, oh, this four-year-old is, is what this four-year-old is, is, is it true? Is what he's saying true? Is what she's saying true? No, you don't have to feel that way. Why? Because you have a clear conscience. You have a clear conscience before the Lord. And that, you know what that's called? Freedom in Christ. Freedom. No bondage. No slavery. No Egypt. You see? That's freedom in Christ. Because people can accuse you left and right. And if it's true, that's one thing. But if it's not true, it exposes their carnality, exposes the flesh. It expose, exposes their state of being, which is a baby. That's what Paul is saying here. I, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. But I'm not justified in this. He says in verse 4, He who judges me is the Lord. You see? It's the Lord. A clear conscience before the Lord. Yeah, you can say this. You can call me a legalist. You can say this about me. You could say, that's fine. That you have a clear conscience before the Lord. It's no big deal. Except your heart breaks for these people. Your heart is long-suffering for these people because you understand that this state of babiness, it's dangerous because it's the babies who are easily caught by the lion. 
Look at the nature shows. You know, I watch the nature shows on TV. You know, a freshly born gazelle. And then all of a sudden the cheetah comes. All the adult gazelle, they run away. It's the babies that get killed and eaten and devoured. It's the babies. Why? Because they cannot run. They can barely stand. And then all of a sudden they get eaten. They turn into carcasses. Carcasses in the wilderness. Very interesting. You remember our study on Wednesday? Carcasses in the wilderness. You see? Babies. Youth. Youth is a beautiful thing. But it also has its dangers. Its share of dangers. We have to understand these things. As the church, yes, we have to understand these things. In verse 5, therefore judge nothing before the time. Now this is the word crino. So, like in verse uh, 3, is a very small thing that I should be anacrino, is what that is, anacrino, not crino. It's a derivative of crino, which is anacrino. It's to make a determination, make the assessment, which is something that we all have to do. There are all kinds of derivatives of crino. But, there, you know, the three biggies are crino, anacrino, and diacrino. Only one is forbidden. All the derivatives of crino, the Greek word crino, which is to judge, and all the derivatives, there's the large majority that you see in the Bible is three. Crino, anacrino, and diacrino. But there are more. There are more. There's only one that is forbidden. Only one. And that's to condemn. That's to condemn a person to hell. Nobody can do that. Only Jesus Christ. He is the judge. You can't say, you're going to burn in hell. Thus saith the Lord, you're going to burn in hell. But you can't say, hey, if you're going to continue on this path, you're going to burn in hell. You can entirely say that. Now, if you do say that, you better not have a plank in your eye because you sow seeds of judgment unto yourself. You better not be a hypocrite because you sow seeds of judgment to yourself. You're going to be held to a higher account. You better not have a plank in your eye. It's much better just to not say anything. If you have a plank in your eye, it's much better, you know, just... Don't say anything. And then take the plank out of your eye. And then you're able to see clearly. It's much better to do that. You see people say, oh, don't judge lest you be judged. No. It's, you know, the Lord never said that. He says, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be carnal. Take the plank out of your own eye. And then you are able to see clearly to where you can help another brother. You can anacrino and diacrino, but never crino. You see? That's what Paul is saying here in verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing, condemn, crino, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring, who will both bring to, to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart of the hearts. You see, it's like, don't condemn somebody. You know why? Because say somebody commits an egregious sin and then you make a determination, you make an anacrino and diacrino, you make a judgment of how you're going to respond. There's an egregious sin, and if you're not a hypocrite, if you're not carnal, you've taken the plank out of your own eye, then you're able to correct this brother. You're able to correct this sister. Biblically, you're able to. Biblically able to. And biblically qualified to. Now, if you're a hypocrite, you're in, disqualified. You're in, not qualified to do that. If you're a hypocrite, if you're carnal, you're not qualified to correct another brother, to correct another sister. Because the Lord has to do the work in you first. You have to allow, yield to him and allow him to. A lot of pastors, 
They like to play this authoritative role, but they themselves are disqualified from that authoritative role because of compromise, because of complacency, because of hypocrisy, because of their own carnal. You know, pastors, oh, don't do drugs, don't do drugs, don't do drugs, but they're a crackhead. Don't do the meth, don't do the crack, but they themselves are a meth head and a crackhead. Don't do the sex, don't do the sex, but they themselves are a sex head. Don't get drunk, don't get drunk, but they themselves are getting drunk. You see? Drug dealer pastors? You say, what? Preposterous. No, there are drug dealer pastors. So-called pastors, I call them wolves. Oh, that's so mean-spirited. You're so mean-spirited. Show me. How is that mean-spirited? Oh, you're crazy. You've lost your mind. I am crazy. I'm, I'm the first to admit. I know I'm crazy. Crazy for Jesus. You see? Show me. Oh, you're so mean-spirited. Show me. How is that mean-spirited? Show me. Oh, that's so prideful. Is it really? Show me. Let's let the word be our, the, you know, let's let the word teach us and show us these things. Oh, that's so prideful. Show me. The last days are no, it's no joke. Do you know how crazy it's going to be in the last days? I mean, we're, we're, we're already seeing craziness and it's, it's, it's compounding more and more. But it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And your body is the temple of the Lord. And people will make fun of you. People will mock you. People will call you stupid. People will call you a legalist. Oh, you, you, I, I read this New York Times bestseller. I heaped up for myself's teachers because I like my ears to be tickled. And this guy says it's okay to do this. This lady says it's okay to do this. This other guy who has his study Bible says it's okay to take the mark of the beast and I'll still be saved. Fools, the blind. If the blind follow the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Oh, the, I read this New York Times bestseller. They have a good music ministry and I'm going to go grave soaking tonight. What? Straight up crazy town. It's the last days. These are all markers. The Lord told us these days would come. And you know what's so beautiful? 2,000 years ago, he teaches us what to, what to look out for. What to look out for. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. He's guiding you through the, the, the last days. He's guiding you. He's directing your steps. While plagues are befalling the earth, his hand of protection. You say, well, wait a second. Look at the persecuted church. And the, look at the, the, the persecuted church in, you know, in Africa, in Russia, in Arab countries. Look at the persecuted church. Well, don't forget, it is beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. The death of his saints, it is beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. So wait, wait a second, I thought you said everything was going to be fine and dandy. Well, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's like the ultimate. That's like, people want safety. I want safety. I want safety. Just like our study on Wednesday. 
I want to be safe. I want to be safe. Don't forget, it is prophesied, meaning it will come to pass that when the people say peace and safety, boom, sudden destruction. It's prophesied. It is coming. And the church is asleep. Except the remnant. But then we understand what the church is comprised of. The field is comprised of. The field has workers. But we see what the field looks like. There's weeds. There's tares. And then there's wheat. And then among the workers... There's the real workers. And then you have wolves. Then you have the hirelings who don't care for the sheep. You see? You have to understand this. As a Berean, you have to understand this as we enter into the last days. As we further progress into the events of the last days. But Paul is saying here in verse 5, judge nothing before the time. And how beautiful is it? So say a brother is caught in an egregious sin and you are Biblically qualified to correct another brother or another sister. You win that soul. You help that brother. You help that sister. You're not a hypocrite. You're biblically qualified to. And then at the same time, when he says don't judge uh, 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 in verse 5, judge nothing before the time. Say, for example, if you're a pastor and you have to tell this person, you know what? This fellowship isn't for you anymore. Because a little leaven leavens the bunch. And say, for example, you have to tell this sister, you have to tell this brother. You know, because of your sexual activity, because of your crack, because of your alcohol, you know, there was, you know, all this grace that was shown you, all this mercy that was shown you, all this love that was shown you. But because you're taking advantage of God's grace, now you're leaven in the fellowship. Now, because you're leaven in the fellowship, then... There's this responsibility unto pastors, unto elders to say, okay, now we protect the flock. You see? It's not to condemn that person and say, okay, you're going to burn in hell. It's not to say that. Thus saith the Lord, you're going to burn in hell. It's to understand like there, there is a remnant to protect. And that person goes off. And just like we're going to get into 2 Corinthians, Paul says, bring that person back. Bring that brother back. It's not to condemn and say, hey, you're out of here. You're going to burn in hell. No. You have to protect the flock. People don't understand. You know what they say? You're so mean. You're so mean. You're so mean. You have a spirit of division. The Lord, he is the one. Don't think that I came to bring peace, he says. He came to divide. That's what the Lord says. He came to divide. What do we see? Wheat and the tares. And the two grow together until the harvest. Paul says, Cree know nothing before the time until the Lord comes. Don't judge. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. The motives is how that translates. The motives of the hearts, the will of the hearts, the purpose of the hearts. And the Lord will reveal these things. He knows the, the mind, the motive. So if you enter into ministry, 
or you know you 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 enter into ministry for the money you enter into the ministry for the accolades you like people to 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 need you there are people like that it's crazy i don't understand it people like to be needed sometimes parents a lot of moms you know they like to be needed you know you have like a it's one thing if you have a three-year-old kid because you're needed you know as a parent or if you're a mom you know or a dad you know but i see this i see the, the a large concentration among the moms you know, if you have a two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, six, that's one thing. You you are you have a, a responsibility. I mean, that's to be needed is beautiful. But then you have like <laughs> like eighteen-year-old kids, twenty-year-old kids, twenty-five-year-old kids, thirty-year-old kids, and the mom still wants to be needed. It's like, oh, I desire to be needed. Foolishness. Stupid. That's dangerous to your kids. Because you're going to have kids that are like mama's boys. You're going to have like little daughters that are like, I don't know, what you call, I say mama's boys for the boys, but what do you, mama's girl? I don't, it sounds weird. But you're going to have adult, like so-called adults, like a 20-year-old who they look like an adult. They behave like an adult. They don't behave like an adult. They look like an adult. They might have the facial hair, you know, for a guy or, you know, you know, like an adult female. You know, they look like an adult. But then you talk to them, you look at the behavior, it's like, wow, this is like a five-year-old child. A five-year-old child because moms like to be needed. You know, it's not like, a, not to come down harsher on the moms. You know, I have a heart for, for moms because of like uh, uh, um, uh, Eunice and Lois. Look at their ministry unto Titus, uh, unto Timothy. I mean, they say ministry, but they're parenting ministry. Grandma and, and mother beautiful but for parents as your kids grow don't forget as they grow you're also letting go you know it's one thing you two-year-old three-year-old five but you're also still letting go you teach a child to ride a bike and you're right there right next to them holding onto the back you're right there but one day you know first time on the bike one day you're gonna have to let go and then Big girl rides off. You see? Your son rides off and you're letting go. And then all of a sudden, you know, baby girl's going to get her driver's license. You're letting go. And then, you know, baby girl's going to go off to college. Baby girl's going to go off into the world and, you know, get a career and do all that. You got to let go. You see? Baby girl's going to get married. You got to let go. Then baby girl's gonna have baby girls. And you, you, you teaching it, you rinse and repeat. You start the process over again as grandma, just like Eunice and Lois. For little Timothy, the next generation of righteousness. You see? But a lot of parents, you know, they, they like to be wanted, they like to be needed. You know, and you see it, like, you know, like uh, uh, adults, uh, 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 a mom, it's like they treat their 20 year old kid as like a little baby. It's kind of gross. You have to grow, matriculate in Christ. And understand that the equipping of the saints, when you're a parent, you equip the saints, equip the little saints. Equip them. Teach them how to fight. You see, but nowadays, in these last days, you know how Paul says to Timothy, a time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine and they'll heap up for themselves teachers because they want their ears to be tickled. They want to feel good about themselves. 
They want to feel good about themselves. The only way, I tell you the truth, the only way you will feel good in your heart of hearts, the only way you feel good, and I say good, but you, the only way you will feel blessed and the only way you will be blessed in your heart of hearts, it's a byproduct of obedience. Where you see disobedience, you won't find comfort. You won't find comfort in the word. You won't find comfort in a sermon until you repent. You won't find comfort because it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's holy. If the word is being taught. And Paul is saying, you know, uh, that, that like judge nothing before the time. Such a person could repent. It's not to say, hey, you're going to burn in hell. But a person can, you know, uh, repent. Be restored, be renewed, and then bring a brother back. That's what we're going to get into that in 2 Corinthians. Bring a brother back. And it's the Lord who reveals the counsels of the hearts, the motives, the will, and the, and the purpose of the hearts. He knows. People who go into ministry for money, people go into ministry for the accolades of men, people go into ministry because they, whatever reason, they want to do good for the community. The Lord knows. The Lord knows who these people are. The Lord knows you. The Lord knows me. The Lord knows it all. And in his knowledge, he tells us, you know, this is what the field, he gives us the blueprints. He gives us the blueprint. This is the field. This is what the field looks like. You got the weeds. You got the tares. You got the wheat. And then don't forget, the enemy came into the field too. You see? Doing his dirty work. Tricking, he was a murderer from the beginning. Planting weeds. You see? Planting tares. Seducing. That's what he does. And then you have the workers. And then the workers are the one who ask the Lord, Lord, do we tear out the weeds? Do we tear out the, the tares? Do we, do we rip them out? And it's the Lord, the master, who says, no. Leave them there. That's what the field looks like. So you have to make this distinction. You have to anacrino. You have to diacrino. You have to make this determination. You have to make this judgment for yourself, for your soul. And then in verse 5, then each one's praise will come from God. Now, me personally, I don't like how this is translated. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now, I, I teach out of the New King James Version. And, you know, it, it's uh, the... the, the, the when I read the Bible, a lot of times when I read, you know, I read out of the New King James, sometimes the King James, very rarely other translations. Sometimes I'll look into other translations, but for the most part, it's New King James or sometimes King James, but then also uh, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And this passage right here in verse 5, I don't like how it's translated. Then each one's praise will come from God. It is better translated from the Greek as then shall everyone partake in praise of God. See? That's uh, it, better translated that way. Then each one's praise will come from God. You see? It's to say, don't judge a person like condemn them to hell. Don't crino a person. Because, you know, they need to get right with God in their journey. You see, don't forget the 11-day journey became a 40-year 40 40 year journey. 11 days turned into 40 years. And in that 40 years, it was a period of chastisement 
And the Lord had to teach the people. And sometimes in Christ, the same exact thing happens. Sometimes lessons can be learned immediately. Immediately. But a lot of times the lessons are learned in a 40-year journey. A long, long, long walk. It's much better. The 11 days is much better than the 40 years. Much, much, much better. And that happens with maturity. Once a person matures in Christ and starts to understand that, yes, Lord, your ways are better than my own ways. I trust you, Lord, more than I trust myself. And your word says this, and I don't even trust myself. I acknowledge myself as wretched, just like Paul says in, in, in Romans 7. And so, Lord, I default to you. I lean on you. I trust in you. And you trust in his ways more than your own ways. That's when 40 years can be 11-day, 11-day journey, 11-day walk, a five-day walk, a five-minute walk, because you trust in the Lord that much. But that comes with maturity. The large, large, large majority, the large, and I don't, I don't know the word for super large. I'll just say super large. The ultra-large majority, they have 40-year journeys. It's not that God doesn't love them. God loves them. That's why they have 40-year journeys. Because they have to learn these lessons. God disciplines those whom he loves. And I'm speaking metaphysically, but, you know, hearken to our study in, on Wednesday. You'll understand what I'm talking about. And so look what happens here in verse 6. Now these things, brethren, I have... Figur figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes. Figuratively transferred is to fashioned and applied to myself and Apollos, the workers, not the field, the workers. I have applied these things to the workers for your sakes that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, not to think beyond what is written. And Paul's saying you, you, you learn this in us. Understand that what is written is everything. The word of God is everything. Just like, you know, John the Baptist. I must decrease and the Lord must increase. You know, every pastor should say, I'm very, I'm very cautious in saying should because, you know, the, the, the Lord is the one who, you know, says, you know, you should do this, you should do that. But I'm very cautious when I say you should. But pastors should have the same mindset. I must decrease. Christ must increase. Every pastor should have that mindset of the flock of God. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, I have fashioned and applied. I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos, the workers, not the field. For your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. Remember, Paul and Apollos, they plant and they water and they're nothing. Paul even says that we're nothing. You know, our study last week. It's God who gives the increase, but then at the same time, they understand that they have a role in fulfillment of their ministry. They have a job to do. And Paul says, don't think beyond what is written. Beyond what is written. What is written is everything, and the Word became flesh. Jesus Christ is everything. Look at what Brother John writes in, uh, turn with me really quick to 3 John. To 3 John. 
And here in 3 John, chapter 1, there's only one chapter. But 3 John, chapter 1, verse 4, Brother John says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. You see? No greater joy. I mean, like, that's a pastor's heart right there. No greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. That's a pastor's heart. Walk in truth, walk in truth, walk in truth. And even John, Brother John, he had a job to do. Look at this. We're reading from 3 John. A shepherd's heart. We have 2 John. We have 1 John. Beautiful. They have a job to do. Shepherding. Tending the flock of God. Feeding the sheep. Feeding the lambs. And then also protecting. We're going to see Paul takes a protective posture here pretty soon. A protective posture. We saw it in the book of Acts. He has his feeding posture. He has his tending posture. But then he also has a protective posture. Why? Because he has to protect the saints. Protect the, uh, uh, the, the lambs and the sheep. That's what a shepherd does. You read the pastoral epistles. Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Shepherds. They have a job to do. Yes, tend and feed and care. But to protect. I mean, look at shepherds today, carnally speaking. You look at shepherds today, when they have their flock, what happens when the wolf comes? You know what they do to the wolf? They kill it. The wolf gets killed. Oh, that's so mean-spirited. The shepherd has blood on his hands. No, it's biblical. I'm not talking, I'm speaking, you know, that's the carnally speaking, that's the worldly sense, but spiritually speaking, metaphysically, wolves have to be killed. Once they're identified, they have to be killed. I'm speaking meta metaphysically. I'm not saying, you know, go out and, you know, kill the false prophets. I'm not saying that. The Lord will do that. <laughs> the Lord will do that. You know, definitely in the life to come. The Lord will do that. The second death. The Lord will take care of that. You see? These false teachers, they don't understand. You think like, do you not fear the second death? I mean, do you not fear the Lord understanding that there is the second death? Does that not scare you? Does that not terrify you? They said, no. That person doesn't even believe. The false teachers, they don't even believe the Lord. Like, yes, he... The word teaches the second death. Doesn't that not terrify? I mean, that's scary. There's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But false teachers who wantonly, want, wantonly propagate these doctrines, these lies from their father, the devil. They don't even fear the Lord. They wantonly do these things. But we were told these things would happen. We know what the field looks like. We, the, the Lord gave us the blueprints of the field. The Lord gave us the blueprints of the workers, the blueprints of the so-called workers, the blueprints of the snakes, the blueprints of the wolves. He gave us the blueprints. But you know what happens? Because people are babies, because Christians are babies, they don't understand these things. They say, oh, you're so mean-spirited. You're so mean-spirited. Show me. That's what babies say. You're so mean. You're so mean. Show me. Where? Oh, you're a legalist. You're a legal. Show me. 
you see. But Paul says, you know, that I figuratively transferred myself and going back to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 4, verse 6. I figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. What is written is everything. You know, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. That none of you may be puffed up arrogant, is how it trans, arrogant and haughty. None of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. And Paul is speaking about the teachers. Oh, I'm of Paul. Look how awesome I am. Oh, I'm of Cephas. Look how awesome I am. Look at the puffery that happens. You see? Very important. Very important to understand these things. Now, a false teacher would say, you see, you don't be puffed up to say like, oh, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas. That's a false teacher would say. So therefore, because the Bible says that, you can't say that of me either. That's what a false teacher would say. But wait a second. Don't forget, the Lord gives us the blueprints of the workers. We know what to look for. So you have a false teacher that's going to teach grave soaking. You have a, 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 a wolf pastor who's going to have sex with all the women. You have a wolf youth leader who's going to have sex with all the, the little girls and the little boys. And they say, oh, you see, don't cause division. Stupid, they're wolves. You have to understand, they're wolves. The Lord gives us the blueprints. He, he tells us what to look out for. This is biblical teachers. Biblical teachers, not to say, oh, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Apollos. These are biblical teachers. Servants. Remember in verse 1, servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. And it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. He gives us qualifiers. He sh shows us what to look for. The Lord teaches us. And people say, oh, yeah, I'm going to submit myself to this pastor. Okay, let me hear a sermon. Let me hear what the pastor teaches. And the pastor saying, okay, we're going to go grave soaking tonight, folks. And everybody's cheering. Praise the Lord. We're going to have this glitter fall down from the rafters, and we're going to call it the Holy Spirit. And people are like, praise, they have their hands up. What in the world? You're going to submit yourself to that? The blind following the blind. And both fall into a ditch. We were told the remnant, the remnant understands, the remnant sees these things. You know, the days of Elijah, the last days are likened to the days of Noah, are likened to the days of Elijah. What happened in the days of Elijah? Elijah thought he was all alone. A remnant. He wasn't alone. The Lord said, you know, there's 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. But the large majority, they did bow the knee to Baal. But Elijah felt alone. Do you feel alone in Christ? That's a good sign. If you feel alone in Christ, that's a very, very good sign. Behold the remnant in these days of Elijah. Look what happens here. In verse 7, for who makes you differ from another? Remember, it's God who gives the increase. 
God who gives the increase. Who makes you differ from another? Paul, Apollos, any teacher. Who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Remember, everything is from God. The knowledge, it's a gift of the Lord. Healing, it's a gift of the Lord. It's all from the Lord. Rejoice that you have received these things from the Lord. Is that, oh, I have knowledge. Okay, rejoice. Oh, I have the Holy Spirit. I, I speak in tongues. Okay, rejoice. I have love. Okay, rejoice. Love is the greatest gift. Rejoice. What do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did not indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Did you earn it by yourself? This is a, a good message for the Armenianists. Works-based salvation. Did you earn it by yourself? Works-based puff, puffs up. And Paul says that, you know, it's in, in verse 4, I know of nothing against myself. Oh, is he boasting? Is he, is he, is he puffing up? Look, he's works-based. Look at all the works. Is he, is he boasting in that? He says, no, I'm not justified in this. It's not works-based. It's God who judges me. He who judges me is the Lord. He says it of the people here in verse 7. Now, if you indeed receive it, why do you boast as you have not received it? Did you earn it? You see? Oh, I have knowledge because I studied the scriptures. Well, did you not receive? If you do have knowledge of the Bible, is it not the Holy Spirit who gave it to you? Oh, but I read the, I read the Bible as literature. Well, then, you know, it's spiritually discerned. You're not going to understand. That's why you see a lot of people, they read the Bible as literature. They study it as literature. You cannot do that. That's when you get into like the Karl Barth type stuff, you know, 1940s and 50s type stuff. You know, deconstructionism of the Bible. It's crazy. You know, the problem with deconstructionism is you deconstruct it, but then you have to reassemble it. You can't do you can't do that. You can't do that. That's you get into like liberal theology. Karl Barth, you know, you read the these teachings of these so-called godly men. No, it's carnality. It's wisdom of the world being applied to the wisdom of God. The two are immiscible. Oh, that's so mean-spirited. Show me. How is, look at the fruit. How does this align with the word of God? Show me. No, babies can't understand these things. Babies don't understand these things. And babies are at greater risk from the lion who roams around, this Satan who roams around like a lion, seeking, looking for whom he may devour. And the babies can't run. So what happens? Babies get eaten. Babies get devoured. Babies get torn apart. And their carcasses are in the wilderness. Thus revealing the word of the Lord. Thus further fulfilling the word of the Lord. It's serious business, you guys. And so look what happens here in verse 8. You are already full, exclamation point. You are already rich, exclamation point. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish that you did reign, that we might also reign with you. Paul begins to explain how good the church has it, the church in Corinth. He begins to explain how good they have it. 
You guys are like kings. You guys are living like kings to the church in Corinth, he says. I don't get it. I thought you said they're a carnal church. I thought you said they're babies. Yes. But he's, all, remember in chapter three, it's denial. And chapter four, it's still denial, but to understand in fulfillment of his ministry, he serves the Lord as a servant, as a steward, but also in the capacity of service unto the Lord, but for the benefit of the church. He's saying, guys, I am biblically qualified to correct you in certain matters, to correct you in these matters that are happening inside the church of what those in Chloe's household told me about. I'm qualified to, you know, tell you these things. I'm qualified to correct you. I've taken the plank out of my own eye. Not boasting. No boasting whatsoever. But to understand, Paul has a ministry in service unto the Lord. He's saying to the church, you guys live like kings. You guys are like kings. You are already rich. You are already full. In verse 9, he says, For I think that God has displayed us. God has displayed us, he says, the apostles. You know, today people like to be called apostles. Oh, you know, I'm apostle, you know, whatever. My name is this. I'm an apostle of the Lord. And Brother James says, let not many be teachers. He says, God has displayed the apostles last. You know how this translates? Uh, <laughs> it, it's the farthest, last, the least. Last, as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men, a spectacle, a theater for the world to see. And, the, and Paul is saying, this is what the Lord has done. The Lord has made us a spectacle. We are fools, he says. We are fools for Christ's sakes. Whoa, he's speaking about himself, Paul, Apollo, Cephas, the in verse 9. God has displayed us, the apostles, as last. In verse 10, we are fools, translates as blockheads. We are blockheads for Christ's sake. People say, oh, you've lost your mind. You've lost your mind. You're crazy. You're such a legalist. You're so stupid. You've lost your mind. You can have a little smile on your face. You know what? You're right. I am crazy. I'm a fool for Christ. I'm a blockhead for Christ. Their very words of condemnation against you are words of comfort. Because you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10. You know what? I, I am a blockhead for Christ. And you can be of good cheer. Remember, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You've surrendered your body a living sacrifice unto the Lord. You consider your body not a temple of you, a, a temple of yours. It's a temple of the Lord. Alcohol, you want it nowhere near this temple of the Lord. You know, people say, here, drink some whiskey, drink some wine. It's just a little wine cooler, a little wine to go with that meal, a little, you know, a little red wine, a little white wine. You're like, no, get the hands behind me, Satan. I don't want this inside of me. It's this temple. It's the Lord. I don't want it inside me. Here, take some crackers. The, the finest weed from Chiapas, Mexico. No way. Get that away from me. Get the hands behind me, Satan. You see? So oh, you're such a legalist. You're such a legalist. You're a fool for Christ. You're a, you're a fool. You're so stupid. And you have a little smile because you're like, okay, I'm a blockhead for Christ. I am a fool for Christ. You see? That's what Paul is saying here. We are fools for Christ's sakes. You know, 
You say, well, that's kind of hardcore. Why is Paul referring to himself and Apollos and Cephas as fools? Well, who wants beatings? Who wants to be? Do you want to be beat up for Christ? I mean, if you've ever been punched, you know, if you've ever taken a kick to the face, it hurts. It hurts. Who wants it? Do you want that? Do you want to be thrown in jail, imprisoned? Do you want to have no friends? I mean, these are things that will come in the last days and it will get worse and worse. But right here, today and now, you know, I, I teach out of America. And we have listeners in Western cultures, listeners in, you know, in America and, and Europe. But what if, what if you're listening and you're like in persecuted areas where the persecuted church is? And I say like, who wants to be beaten? And you're like, wow, you know, I just got, I got beat up yesterday because I'm a Christian. Be of good cheer. You're in good company, my friend. You're in beautiful, beautiful company. And I, I don't say that lightly, like, oh, I'm here in, you know, the protected, you know, Western world and you're over there. I don't say it like this because you know what? My callous knees testify of my love for you. I pray for you, the persecuted church, my persecuted brother, my persecuted sister. We, the people of the way, we pray for you. Be of good cheer. You're in good company. We are fools for Christ's sake. Remember, these are the workers. The workers. That's what Paul is saying. In verse 8, you guys are already full. You don't have to be thrown in jail. You don't have to be beaten. You don't have to be left for dead. That's what, that's what we do. But you, you are in the field. You're already full. You are already rich. You guys are like kings. We are fools, in verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sakes, but you are wise. Translates as uh, shrewd and astute. You are wise in Christ. Wait a second, you read that, you're like, wait, they have wisdom? Well, there's a shrewdness, there is an astuteness in Christ that, the, that this church has in Corinth. They're still carnal. It's not to say that they are wise in Christ, and that's it. There's, they are shrewd and astute in Christ, but because of that, now they have a choice to make. Let's take the next step. Let's take the next step. And what is the next step? You know, put on your seatbelt because we're going to talk about that next week. Put on your seatbelt. It's hardcore. Where Paul starts to correct the church. He starts to correct them. A carnal church and he deals with their carnality. He says, we are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Remember, contrast the worker and the field. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. You see, carnally speaking, there's no glamour with the workers. Carnally speaking, there is absolutely zero glamour among the workers. None. I'm it. How many friends do the workers have? Zero. Zero. That's how many friends the workers have. They might have brothers, might have sisters. Friends, zero. You see? That's what Paul's saying. You guys, the church in Corinth, the church today, you guys are already full. You guys are already rich. You guys are like kings. 
But the workers, we the workers, he's saying, of himself, of Paul, of Cephas, the ones who they were like, oh, they, you know, there was division, like, oh, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Apollos. That's carnality. That's the flesh. Paul says, you guys are babies in saying that, remember? In, in, in chapter 3, verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Carnality. Mere men. And so he says this in chapter 4. Verse 12, and we labor, we labor. This is to fatigue. It's like to work hard and to feel fatigue, like to be tired. And we labor working with our own hands. Have you ever had a long day at work? You have a long day at work. Say you work like 20 hours, long day at work. And you're like, okay, I'm going to go home and I'm going to go to sleep. Not so with the worker. 20 hours in and then all of a sudden, boom, you know, teach, study, pray, give sermons. Exhort, warn, encourage. Not so with the workers. You see? Like, remember Paul, chapter 20 of the book of Acts? Teaching all night long. You know, picture that more. I wonder what it was like that morning. Waking up in the morning, you know, do some wheeling and dealing in town, making tents. You know, hey, you need a tent. Okay, here, I'll charge you this much. I'll make a tent. You know, makes it, sews it together. Here's your tent. Make some money. Takes the money. Feeds his entourage, those who are with him. Get a meal. Okay, let's eat. And you think like, wow, you know, let's, you rinse and repeat. No, it's a, you know, a hard day's work and then he's going to go to sleep. No, hard day's work. Boom, teach. Teach. All night long, all into the evening. 9 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, 11, midnight. The guy falls out the window. No, keeps teaching in the morning. Keeps teaching until morning. The sun comes up. Teaching. Maybe take a little hour cat nap, two hour cat nap, make some tents, sell some tents, boom, next day, teaching. See, going into the synagogue, reasoning in the synagogue, as was customary to Paul. You see? And the whole time, Paul, how he says that he wishes he could be anathema from Christ for the sake of his brethren, for the sake of the Jews. You see? Long-suffering for the Jews. Wow. That's what Paul is saying to the church. You guys are like kings. You guys are already full. You're already rich. We're the workers. This is what our life is. You're the field. This is what your life is. And in that, you can rejoice. We labor working with our own hands, being reviled, which is to be vilified and despised, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure, we put up with it, he says. Being defamed, slandered, and uh, reviled is how it translates. Being slandered, we entreat, we comfort, and encourage. We have been made as the filth of the world, as the refuse of the world, is how it translates. The filth of the world. Paul is saying this about himself. With the filth of the world. The offscoring of all things until now, or the scum of all things until now. That's the word. Verse 10 through verse 13. That's the worker's life. No sleep. You put in a day's work, boom, maybe, you know, get something to eat, 
boom, teach, study, be on your face before the Lord. Take a little cat nap, work. Same, you know, teach, exhort, warn, comfort, encourage. That's the worker. That's what Paul is saying. You guys are already rich. You guys are already full. You guys are like kings. We are fools. You are wise. We are weak. You are strong. You are distinguished. We are dishonored. You see? People make fun of us. You know, like we're, we're vilified. Verse 12, we're vilified. We're defamed. We're slandered. Oh, Paul, he's so stupid. Cephas, he's so dumb. That's the worker. That's the That's the life of the worker. We've been made the filth, the refuse of the world, the scum of all things until now. That's the worker's life. The field's life, verse 8. You guys are already full. You guys are already rich. You guys are like kings, he says. That's the field's life. You see? That's what the Lord has established. That's what the Lord has ordained. That's what the Lord has preordained. If you hearken to our study in uh, Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, that's how the Lord made it. And in his word, he teaches us what the field looks like. He teaches, he teaches us what the world looks like. He teaches us what the field looks like, his field. And then he also teaches us what the workers look like. He shows us the blueprints. He shows us. He says in verse 14, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, he says, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ. You know how this translates? He says, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, it translates as a tutor and teacher of boys. You might have 10,000 teachers of children in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. I have birthed you through the gospel is how it translates. Whoa. 10,000 instructors. Those are like uh, 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 teachers of boys, of children, like elementary school, preschool teachers. Teachers of boys. You have 10,000 preschool teachers. You have 10,000 kindergarten teachers. You have 10,000 first grade teachers. But what about a homeschooling parent? A homeschooling parent who loves you. And you don't even understand how much Paul loves the church. Because you're making fun of him. You have no idea how much Paul loves the church. The church in Corinth. Which he burned. You, you, you read uh, uh, Acts. He came to town into Corinth. And the birth of the church. And yes, he's doing all these things sacrificially unto the Lord, his service unto the Lord. When you read chapter or verse 10 through 13, being defamed, we're fools, we're despised, we're the scum of the world. We're the filth of the world, the refuse of the world. And he says these things. And then to understand that these things were done for the church unto the Lord. 
but for the sake and the benefit of the church, for the advantage of the church. Chapter 3, he explains how, you know, reducing himself, the humility, and say, hey, we're nothing. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, we're nothing. It's God who gives the increase. But then chapter 4, understanding that, yes, he has a job to do in ministry unto the Lord, in service unto the Lord. And he says, you know, I don't write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you for as, as though for though you might have met, you have you you might have 10,000 instructors, 10,000 preschool teachers, 10,000 kindergarten teachers in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ I have begotten you, I have birthed you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you imitate me. How that translates? Therefore I urge you follow me. Imitate me, he says. Well, remember, he said that we have these people as a pattern. The Lord has given these people as a pattern. The Lord has given Paul as a pattern. The Lord has given Cephas as a pattern. The Lord has given Peter as a pattern for us, for the church. You see? Therefore, I urge you, imitate me or follow me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you. Do you see how beautiful? He's not just sending a warm body. Hey, we got this need in Corinth. Okay, send Joe Schmuckatelli over there. We got this need. Okay, Joe Schmuckatelli's over here. Let's send Joe Schmo over here. No, he's saying, I'm going to send you Timothy. You see, look at the ministry of Eunice and Lois. I have sent Timothy to you, not just a warm body, the next generation of righteousness, you see? Who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord? Not just a warm body, Timothy. You see, a future pastor. We saw Timothy, remember when we studied the book of Acts? We saw Timothy in the field. We saw Timothy in the field. Now we're seeing Timothy in the field, but as a worker. You see, he made that transfer, Timothy. And Paul says, I'm sending Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church, who will remind you in my ways in Christ. You see, Paul as a teacher, Paul as a pastor. See, a service unto the Lord, but for the sake of the church. In chapter 4, verse 1, a servant of Christ and as stewards of the ministry of the mysteries of God. You see, and faithful. It is required in stewards that one be found faithful. You see? In verse 18, in closing, now some are puffed up, some are arrogant, it translates. Some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will know, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. He says. Remember, in Acts eight, we see something how the Spirit works. In Acts eight, you know the ministry of Philip when he goes and shares the good news, and people were believing. So the people believed, and the people received the word of God, but they hadn't received the Spirit of God. You know who knew? Peter. Peter, a fellow planter and also a fellow waterer. Peter knew. 
And then he prayed that they received the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit fell on the church. And you know who knew that some, there was a person there that did not receive the Simon? Did not receive the Holy Spirit? You know who knew? Peter. You see? He knew that Peter didn't receive this. Or he knew that Simon didn't receive the Spirit. How did he know? See? The Spirit of the Lord. This is not divided against himself. Neither are his servants divided against the Spirit. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. You see? The power that's inside of Paul, he's going to know. You know? What is, who is this guy? What power does he have? What power does he? There is no power. Remember Simon in, in, in Acts chapter 8, how Simon wanted to have the same power as Peter? Oh, tell me, how do I get this power? You know, how much money do I give you and I can buy this power? And Peter knew, hey, this guy doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Yeah, he believed in Jesus Christ. This Simon, he believed in Jesus Christ, but he had no power. Paul's saying the exact same thing. I'm going to know. I'm going to know who the Simons are. I'm going to know exactly who the Simons are, he says. And so look what happens here. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Question mark. Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? The choice is yours. He's telling the church, a very carnal church. Hey, guys, how do you want me to come to you? Should I come to you with the rod or should I come to you in a spirit of gentleness? You see, remember there were arrogant ones. In verse 18, some of you are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. There were arrogant ones. Imagine what they might have been saying. Oh, Paul, he's just a big windbag. He's just crazy. You know what? He's just, he's lost it. He's just, he's, he's in crazy town. He's not coming. Everything's fine, you guys. Here, do what I say. Maybe there was a Simon who was saying that. Somebody who did not have the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, I'm going to know who you are. I'm going to know because the Spirit, I'm, I'm going to know not by what you say, but by the power. Wow. Everything is fine. Paul says, I'm going to know exactly who you are by the power or lack thereof. Simon's in the church. I'm going to know exactly who you are, Paul says. And Paul is telling the church, are you going to heed their, their words? Are you going to heed these people, these ones who are arrogant and puffed up? Are you going to heed their words? Or are you going to hear, heed the preschool teachers? Are you going to heed the kindergarten teachers? Remember, where were the pastors? Where were the elders in the church in Corinth? Where were they? Praise the Lord for those in Chloe's household. You see? You had defunct pastors, defunct elders, deacons. You see? They were busy teaching boys. They were the preschool teachers. They were the kindergarten teachers, you know, teaching children, not teaching adults. And Paul is saying, choose. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? That's carnality. Carnality has to be dealt with. 
Carnality has to be addressed in the church. The works of the flesh have to be addressed in the church. Oh, that's so mean-spirited. That's not loving. No, carnality has to be addressed. And it is an act of love. What parent spares the rod? What parent spares the rod? We see, you know, in today's culture, parents sparing the rod. And what do you see? Look at the fruit. Look at the kids. You know, 20-year-old kids who've never been spanked before. And they're like little five-year-olds, little three-year-olds, little babies. 30-year-olds, never been spanked before as a child. And now they're like, they look like adults, but they behave like mere children. Little tiny children, little tiny babies. You see? Let's look at, in closing, let's look at Hebrews really quick. Hebrews chapter 12. I know we did that recently in our Wednesday study. But I'll say it again. In verse Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? That's biblical. What child is without chastening? And we see that in the world today, but that's the world. But if you are without chastening, of which you all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Not sons, he says. That's chastening happens. To sons. You see? It's a good thing. You know, you have these good markers. When I say be of good cheer, you're in good company. But if you're also chastened, be of good cheer. You're in good company. Being chastened of the Lord, he disciplines those whom he loves. Why? Because he wants you to learn the error of your ways. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. We gave them reverence. Shall we not much more readily, much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us and seem as seemed best to them. But he for our profit that we may become that we may be partakers of his holiness. You see, holiness, holiness. That's why you say, oh, I don't like chastening. Well, you have to learn holiness. I don't like a 40 year journey in the wilderness. Who does? Especially knowing that 40 years could have been 11 days. Who does? But we need to be partakers of holiness so that we can learn what is that. Look at verse 11. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward or eventually is how it translates. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And what's going to happen? We're going to end our study here. But next week, as we continue in 1 Corinthians, Paul is going to start addressing carnality hardcore. He's addressed it already. But you're going to see a form of chastening. And Paul says, you know, how do you guys want it? Should I come with you to a rod or should I come to you in a spirit of gentleness? He desires to come to them in a spirit of gentleness. And he wants to come to them in a spirit of gentleness. But the carnality has to be addressed. It has to be addressed. And not just addressed, it has to be dealt with. And not carnally. It has to be dealt with in a manner that is holy and pleasing to the Lord. Understanding that no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. It's painful. I'm the first to admit chastening. When you're on the receiving end of chastening, it is painful. You see? But afterward, eventually, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We're going to end our study here. God bless you guys. Love you guys.